0: Welcome to a new podcast series from Autumn Ridge Women. I'm Spea Mary, the Women's Ministry Director at Autumn Ridge Church, and I am absolutely delighted to be bringing this four-episode study of a story that I think is one of the sweetest stories in the whole Bible. This series will be a whole different flavor from our first two podcasts. In the fall, we took an eagle-eyes view of the entirety of the Psalms, focusing each week on topics that added depth and dimensions to how we read the Psalms. And then over the winter, we went to a completely different extreme, at least pace-wise, and we spent nine weeks in just a single chapter, Romans 12, one of the richest chapters of the Bible in regards to theology and its practical applications for what it looks like to live as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But now for this series, a third flavor is going to emerge as we spend four weeks in an Old Testament book, the book of Ruth. And in this, this series, each week we'll be covering one chapter of this beautiful story and a story of extraordinary kindness and love. In each of our podcasts, we've aimed to really make you feel like you're sitting around in a living room with friends, having a cup of coffee and a great conversation about Scripture. And of all three of the podcast series that we've done, I think uh, this one in the Book of Ruth will hopefully achieve that feeling the best of all the three, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be bringing this this story-oriented series to you. Each week, Heather Henderson for two of the weeks and then Angie Pankratz for the other two will be joining me. The three of us have been studying this book, both individually and as a trio, and we have really come to fall in love with the book of Ruth. So I'm excited to bring this to you and excited to have Heather with me here today to kick off the first chapter of this series. Heather, welcome back to the podcasting, Mike. Thank
1: you, Svea. I'm so happy to be here. This is such a great book. I can't wait to dive in.
0: Well, and and I think both of us have had this experience of liking the story Mm -hmm. beforehand. Yeah. Um, You know, many people know, My story. I relate to this story on a personal level, having been widowed at a very young age myself. And so I'm naturally drawn to a whole book that's about God's faithfulness to a young widow. And so I've loved it for that. Um, And even more importantly, like we're going to see in the book of Ruth, um, I experienced God's incredible faithfulness and his loving kindness. Um, as he provided for my needs in amazing ways, not just in the fabulous thing that he brought a wonderful second husband and a home full of children to me, um, but it's it's the story is so much more than just a happy ending to a tragedy, so much more than than a sappy love story. But we're really going to see so much about God, and that's one of the things that I've been excited to to bring. Um, to the people Mm -hmm. listening to this podcast to see how about how about you heather
1: yeah so i gotta be honest i've always thought of ruth as a love story Uh and you know you're the boaz to my ruth (laughs) this sort of this sort of thing and so when you when you first said we first met and talked about ruth as not being about a love story i was like "Uh uh-oh okay so I had to rethink it. Um, but you're right. As I took a step back and really started to focus more on the details of this story and understanding that it really is about God's extraordinary kindness toward us. It's about provision mm-hmm. um, and his care for us. It is so much richer mm-hmm. than, you know, I think the Old Testament story of Ruth that maybe we've all grown up with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. and if you listening right now have always thought of this as, as kind of that fairy tale love story and the the first part of the Bible, um, you know, we're not going to, uh, to crush your enjoyment of the beautiful parts of that story mm-hmm. that relate that way, but, but we hope that we're going to show you it so much deeper than that. There's so much love in this book that's not necessarily between Ruth and Boaz, but uh, between Ruth and Naomi and between God and us and we're excited as we go through this series each week, we're the we're going to be driving to most importantly what we see about God in this chapter and how that relates to our um, mm-hmm. Our faith, our relationship with God—to um, t- look for that. Um, just a note on the study: as we go through this, we are not going to be necessarily going through verse by verse. We're going to be talking about some of the themes that are there. So, we encourage you before you listen to this podcast to read through the chapter first, so that you've uh, gotten a chance to see it all there for yourself and, and can um, follow along with us as we pull out those details. Yeah. Um, but, but what we're really going to be focused on is is more bringing out the themes that are that are in the book. And the theme of kindness mm-hmm. is the thing that we're really going to be honing in on over and over again.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. And really, there's only four chapters in the whole book. You could read the whole thing every time.
0: You could, <laughs> over and over. I'll put in a plug for Memorize It if you there want you to. There you go. <laughs> um, Whoever that,
1: memorizes it will get a high five from Ian at the end. <laughs> We can make that happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this theme of kindness, though, I just want to say one more thing before we actually start looking at the chapter itself. Because I, one of the reasons I chose to do Ruth for this series is because of what it shows us about kindness. It just feels like after the year that we've endured this year, we're ready for a story mm-hmm. that is so filled with kind and honorable people. There's there's no villain In this story, there might be a couple of people that act in very human ways, very understandable ways that we ourselves might be like, but uh, but this is a book about people who knock our socks off with how above and beyond they go to show kindness and generosity. To each other, it really and... is
1: so easy to read, and it's light on my heart, you know. When I read it, it's it's definitely more of a heartwarming experience than it is when we read other stories in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a little bit more, I think, convicting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is more of uh, let me just give you a warm squeeze.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So, with that, why don't we set the stage for this? The first paragraph of chapter one does a pretty good good job of setting mm-hmm. the stage but i'd like to go even a little bit more into detail because some of the the cultural concepts here are maybe a little bit foreign to us in our in our current day and age but verse 1 gives us three very important details yes. that uh, that kind of let us know where we're starting from.
1: Right. And I think they're really important f- for us to to remember as we go through this, that it's not just a sweet story smack in the middle of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's there really are some very serious things happening in the background. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first one is, um, we see in verse one that this was in the days of the judges. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if anybody's read the book of Judges, this is the complete opposite story of Ruth. This Mm -hmm. is chaos. And everybody's doing what's right in their own eye, which is a really scary place to be. Mm -hmm. Really scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They had the law, but it was kind of left up to people to decide how they wanted to interpret it. And like we humans do, we tend to interpret everything in our own self-interest, not necessarily thinking about the interest of others. Right. Even
1: in our current culture, everybody sees the law differently, interprets the law differently. But this is actually a little bit more dangerous than what we're experiencing right now. Yeah. So
0: even just that little clue gives us an idea that they were living in kind of a, Mm -hmm. a time of turmoil. Yep. We also see in verse one that there's a famine going on. Yeah, and we can understand automatically that famine is bad. But we also might have had kind of those overtones of, well, if there's a famine, what does that mean? Why is God not providing? And the, the questions, the doubt, the uncertainty, the fear that that would have set up for for Naomi, Elimelech, and their sons um, as we right. begin this story. Right. And because of that. They leave Bethlehem, ironically Bethlehem meaning house of bread, a place that should be a place of abundance for their family, leaving Bethlehem in the promised land to go of all places to Moab. To
1: Moab. Not necessarily enemy territory, but not very friendly territory. Yeah, well, in a a country they've had a lot of history with Mm -hmm. and none of it good. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So I also think it's interesting that we that we find ourselves in Bethlehem at this point, mm. um, because of how Bethlehem comes back to us later. Yeah. And I just feel like it's one of those. You know how they talk about Easter eggs? Like it's a little egg planting. Something of the future, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right here in this book.
0: Absolutely. In fact, we'll get a clue of that in the very end of chapter four about how uh, how right you are in that. But yeah, Bethlehem is a sweet things that for most of us brings kind of warm associations. And so the fact that they've left Bethlehem, mm-hmm. that Bethlehem they feel like has kind of betrayed them.
1: It must and, have been really, it must have been a really bad situation for them to decide to leave that area and to go to Moab. Absolutely.
0: Well, and and we'll talk in a second about how bad. Mm-hmm. But then the fourth point we wanted to bring out in this first paragraph is that then we see a series of tragic deaths, Mm -hmm. and and possibly even infertility, too. Yeah. We're told right away in verses 3 that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And then um, after that, we find out that then their sons died also. And, and, I mean, what a horrible way to start a story.
1: (laughs) I know. We start off right away with finding these women who are now absolutely destitute.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the the curtain raises on a rather dark and bleak picture, despite what Heather and I were just saying about right. what a heartwarming, sweet story this is. It's okay, we're only at verse 4. <laughs> <laughs> but this, the stage is set
1: for us with some, some pretty uh, deep plot here to begin. Yeah. What's interesting, too, we find is that uh, the sons, the... Um, Malin and and Killian they married Moabite women, which was was against God's law at that time. Mm. So this is part of setting that stage of what's going to happen when when they once return. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to understand a little bit of the history behind what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was against God's law to yeah. marry Moabites.
0: Yeah, and it's something that that Israelites who would have heard this story would have resonated with right away. It's like, right. oh, danger, danger. <laughs> Something right. is is going Uh-oh. wrong here. And we, we kind of tend to celebrate that now. We we admire different cultures and uh, and don't necessarily right. see that immediately as a bad thing. But uh, No, but, but in, in
1: those days, it would have been really tough. So now we have Naomi, who is now a widow. She's mm-hmm. lost both the persons, and she's left with two daughters-in-law.
0: Mm-hmm. Who are not necessarily going to be accepted, right? Uh, by by Naomi's mm-hmm. people, we're going to transition pretty soon into talking about the rest of the chapter. But before we do, there's a couple of cultural and legal or law related concepts that I think would be helpful for us to to bring out and and. Uh, um, to explain a little bit, because they really kind of are the fabric that Mm -hmm. make up this story. Um, And the first concept to talk about is that family lineage was everything to the Israelites. Um, You don't have to read very much of the Old Testament to know how often people are identified, but what by what tribe of the nation of Israel that they were part of, what their family lineage was. The Old Testament is filled with
1: genealogies. It is, (laughs) we see them everywhere, Mm -hmm. everywhere, which is, it's like you're, this is is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then here's your list of ancestors.
0: And one of the reasons that was so important was because the promised land that God gave his people was allotted into these different tribes, into these different family lines. And your portion of the land was kind of synonymous with your portion of God's Mm -hmm. blessing. And that was supposed to stay in your family. This was not the kind of thing like you upgraded to a two-story colonial once you had a little bit more in the (laughs) bank or something like that. this, This was your family's land and you wouldn't. Sell that you don't trade that you don't change that. That was where you and your family would be um, for generations. Land passed down from fathers to sons, in some cases to daughters, um, although that was less common. Pretty rare. The one category land never did pass down to, though, was widows, Mm. and that sets us up for another problem that we see in this story that's widows had. Very
1: few options. They did. They did. There was only, there's, I think we narrowed it down to four. Mm. Four real good options Mm -hmm. for a widow in these days. Um, The first is to be supported by her son. Mm -hmm. Well, that's out, right? Draw a line through that option because both of Naomi's sons have passed. Yes. She could remarry within the family. Uh, That would be preferably like a Mm -hmm. brother-in-law, which I don't know about you, but for (laughs) me, this is this is not a good option for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll come back to that one a bit <laughs> in, in a second. But yeah, I mean, remarriage would be a, a hopeful thing for her if she
1: didn't have any sons to take care of her. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, she could go back to her parents' home if that were possible. But we kind of gather from this point in the story that that Naomi is older and mm-hmm. her parents have probably passed on at this point. Mm-hmm. So going home to her parents' home was not really a good option. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she needed to be able to support herself through some sort of craft, through mm-hmm. a trade craft, um, which is also very uncommon. So for for a widow without sons... This has now become like the worst of the worst situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Naomi has very few options. Mm-hmm. By the end of this first paragraph, we see she's in a really desperate, desperate place. Yeah. So with with all of that said, let's talk more about the the story itself. Let's look at chapter one. And, uh, and as we've talked about this chapter, we've kind of identified three major sections of this chapter. In the first section of it, verses one through five, we see that Naomi's family left God's land in Bethlehem, and then things got even worse. And then just um, so you can follow our train of thought here, we'll see next that in verses 6 through 18, that Naomi faces return to Bethlehem in complete desperation. And that's what we were just talking about. She's out of options. She really doesn't have um, many sources of hope at this point in the story. And then we'll see in the end that she does return to Bethlehem in verses um, 19 through 22. She's back with her her extended family and with God's people again, but she feels that God's against her. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the story arc of where this chapter is headed. Um, so let's just revisit a bit of, of the first paragraph in this section that we see when, when Naomi and Elimelech and their sons have left Bethlehem in the midst of this famine, and then things get even worse. And what i'd like to say about this beyond the the details here is that i think it's helpful for us to understand that from naomi's perspective she may feel that she's walked away from god and from what we see later in the chapter she feels that her life circumstances are kind of evidence that god's against mm-hmm. her now and and i i think it's helpful for us to give her a little bit of empathy
1: for that i think so too this is she has got to be in just the lowest part of her life um, and so she's got to feel, and I think often we feel when we're in a really low time of our life, that God has left us, like his favors left us. You know, what have we done?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, who among us hasn't faced something hard and your mind goes, why me, God? Mm-hmm. You know, why would you let this happen to me? We're right. so quick to attribute the bad things that happen in life um, to, to God, to fearing that maybe His his favor has left us, his blessing has left us. Um, I think it's interesting to see that in verse 6, that she says that she'd heard that God was providing for his people, Mm -hmm. and notice now that she's speaking about that in the third person, Right. that she no longer feels, because of the circumstances in that first paragraph, she no longer feels like she's one of God's people, Right. but that God's providing for his people.
1: So do you think that act of moving away from Bethlehem, away from God's people into Moab was like the physical... I mean, I don't know, like the, the physical sign of her walking away from God.
0: Yeah, and you know, we don't know if it was Naomi's choice or if it was Elimelech's sure. choice to do that. But, but either way, I, I do. I think mm-hmm. you know they were identifying, hey, Bethlehem's in a famine. We're in trouble. Let's fix it. We're going to take care of it ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait around for God to, to start things back up again. Right. We're, <laughs> we're going to go to Moab of all places right. and take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that gives us a, a light on where Naomi was. Yeah, but it seems to
1: be her only choice is to go back at yeah, this point.
0: Now to go back, and so that's where we see her in in the second section of the mm-hmm. story in verses six through eighteen. She finds that, or hears somehow through the grapevine that, that God is providing again, that there's food back in Bethlehem. And, uh, and as Heather kind of laid out those four choices that a widow had, she really has none of them. Yeah, And so to go home and hope for some kind of kindness from her extended family and friends um, kind of is her only choice. But we get this complication here of her daughter's-in-law. So. Yes. <laughs> Ruth and Orpah, as you'd mentioned, they're Moabite women. These are not uh, necessarily going to be celebrated, accepted women. No,
1: these are going to be foreigners who are signs of, you know, disobedience to God's will on Naomi's family's part, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be kind of a, like a, a blaring sign. of yeah. <laughs> We walked away. Yep.
0: That something has gone wrong mm-hmm. here. And you know, and in those options for what widows had, um, neither Ruth or Orpah had children, so they can't be supported by their sons. Nope. Um, so their best option would be to go back to their right. parents' home, which is what Naomi tells them to do. Go back she to their mother's she house. She tries
1: to tell them, "Listen, there's nothing there for you. I mean, really, as a Moabite." Going back to Bethlehem, going back to that area would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. They would not be accepted mm-hmm. um, as as Naomi would be mm-hmm. because she's one of their people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly their best option is to go back to their family yeah. and hopefully— and Naomi Maybe. encourages. She tries to do everything she can uh-huh. to convince them to go back, um, which I think is kind of funny. I think there's a little humor in this. She's like, clearly, I'm not going to get married tomorrow uh-huh. and have sons, and you're not going to wait around long enough for them to be old enough for you to marry. Yep. <laughs> so I think she's, I think she's overstating some of these obvious facts, <laughs> yeah. trying to convince these two you should stay in Moab. Well, and we do see one of them makes that choice. And,
0: and Orpa, who, side note, yes, Oprah is named originally Orpah. It says Orpah on her birth certificate, apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> some family member mispronounced it, and it stuck. But yes, there's your, your trivia, <laughs> um, trivial trivia. Um, Orpah goes back, and, and I want to say, I don't think that we should judge her no. f- for doing this. This was really Orpah's best chance at life. At, mm-hmm. at, at having a second chapter of her life. She did nothing wrong by going back.
1: No, I, I don't think that there's anything we could say against her other than she was like, yeah, I think you're right. I think she was making a wisdom decision mm-hmm. <laughs> based on the facts that I have before me. Going home is probably the better option. It, it makes perfect sense
0: for mm-hmm. her. and that, But it sets up why Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi and to... For Ruth to leave her family, to leave her people, her friends, her country, everything she's ever known, yeah. completely out of devotion. Her religious structure. Yeah. Every, you know? Everything she's everything. lived with just so that she could stay with Naomi. And it's not like she's staying with Naomi because Naomi can take such good care of her. Naomi
1: can't even take care of herself. No, Naomi is saying, I have nothing to offer you. Uh huh.
0: <laughs> You're yep. on
1: your own, kid. It's... It's really incredible. Yes. And so when we see
0: uh, Ruth's statement in verses 16 and 17, that that phrase that we,
1: how many weddings have you been to when you've heard this used at a wedding (laughs) from... It's, it's probably sitting stitched on somebody's pillow on their couch right now.
0: Probably. So I hope we're not disillusioning anyone if they realize this is actually from daughter-in-law to mother-in-law. Yes. <laughs> but Ruth is making this incredible statement of loyalty to say that, you know, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Yeah. And, and if we think about what Ruth has witnessed— of what Naomi is saying about her God, Naomi seems to feel that God is against her. That yeah. God's hand has gone out against her. That that things are not working out well. Right, and maybe she's feeling that way because she knows that
1: that she's left God's land, God's people. Um, I think so. I think so. When I when I read this in its context of okay, she's trying to convince these these two women to go back. This is what you need to do. She's facing the road home alone, Mm -hmm. and I just, in my mind, have this picture of these two women, and then, so she's looking at going forward alone, but then you have Ruth, who makes this incredible commitment Mm -hmm. to Naomi. She's not just saying, you know, she's saying, where you go, I'll go. You're not going to be alone in this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you go alone. Mm -hmm. Your God is my God, which... I mean, I think we've talked about before, it means that somewhere along the way, I think that Ruth really came to know the true God mm-hmm. uh, through Naomi. Yeah. Um, but this had to be an emotional moment for these women. I could just see them covered in dust on the road, sobbing yeah. as they look at the road ahead.
0: Yeah. They don't have a whole lot of reason to hope that the road ahead will be any better than the road behind. No. But- no. No there together and, mm-hmm. and we get one of these great examples of this incredible kindness in this book this loyal kindness yes well they return and we get to the last section of this chapter where they've returned uh, and we see some more interesting things about Naomi mm-hmm. in this last section I love that when they return it says the whole town is now like coming around <laughs> talking about them they're the talk of the bugs I know you're back yeah <laughs> And imagine, I mean, these are people that would have known and and presumably loved Naomi and her family when they left. They'd been gone 10 years. It's obviously before the era of social media or telephones or the way that we often keep in touch with friends. I think
1: it's easy to forget that news didn't travel. Yeah. They they couldn't even write letters in those days. Right. So I mean I'm sure there could have been a way to send a message but I doubt that was the case. Well
0: there wasn't a whole lot of travel going through Moab anyway <laughs> even if there was and and so we we get this picture of all these people who have wondered for 10 years whatever happened to their family. Yeah. And now Naomi comes back with no husband, with no sons. And they're saying, "Is this Naomi?"
1: I know. Well and she's she's got a little Moabite tagging along behind her. <laughs> yeah. Which, interestingly, she doesn't even acknowledge
0: (laughs) or mention. No,
1: she says, here I am all alone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's fascinating.
1: Now, when Naomi in verse
0: 20 says that she's no longer Naomi, Naomi means pleasant, that she'd rather be called Mara, Mm -hmm. which Mara means bitter. Um, She often gets a bad rap at this point, where we think of her as being this bitter old lady.
1: That yeah, she's... I don't think that's what they're trying to communicate. I totally agree. I think it's heartbroken. I think she's looking at what's happened with her life, and it feels bitter. Yep, absolutely. If you, I mean, and, and it's so
0: easy to understand that everything has gone wrong for her, mm-hmm. and we, we see this word mara, or bitter, used elsewhere in scripture when it talked about a stream of water that had turned bitter and was now undrinkable and therefore without value. Yeah. And I think that rather than Naomi making a comment about her character, she's more saying my life has is like that stream. It's become bitter. I now feel like I am ruined and without value
1: yeah and it's it's heartbreaking do you think it'd be fair to say that it's tainted yeah really her pers- her perspective i i think
0: absolutely and, and then consider why i mean their family left the promised land yep. their their allotment of god's blessing in the mm-hmm. midst of a famine they probably felt like maybe they'd turned their back on god because of that to go to enemy territory her husband dies her sons marry foreign women and then they die they never had children before they died and and oftentimes in in their culture they viewed infertility or 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 lack of having children as sign that god's blessing had gone out against them and uh, and so she has all of these reasons to think that way And, and when we see in verses 20 and 21 what she says herself about god when she says god has dealt bitterly yeah. with her and she went away full but God brought her back empty and he's testified against her and brought calamity on her I, th- I think her feelings are raw yeah and real but understandable
1: I think so too I think there's a time when we can all really relate to Naomi mm-hmm. in this moment where there have been times where things in life our life has felt tasted bitter mm-hmm. and and it's It makes us feel like God is against us. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: I think that's, you know, when we just
0: interpret our life through pain, it can feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, don't miss something here. There's a really interesting detail in verse 21. Um, Look at what Naomi says about when she left. She said, I went away full and God brought me back empty. Now, that's kind of an ironic thing for a woman who went away because of a famine. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) To say that she went away full. She's kind of misinterpreting her circumstances, and
1: we do that too, right? Remembering how good it was.
0: Yeah, we tend to look back and we remember things a little bit better Mm -hmm. than they may have been, especially when then we took matters into our own hands to try to fix it ourselves and don't feel like it worked out the way that it was supposed to. Right. I think Naomi is just, she's a real person. She and is. She had real feelings and responded in ways that I think most of us could relate to if we're
1: we're honest with ourselves. I find her incredibly relatable.
0: But I want to land this plane by mm-hmm. bringing it into the application of what we see about God in this chapter. We haven't seen Naomi say many good things about God. She said some kind of angry things or at least pain-filled things. Yes, yeah. um, But... What I think is helpful for us to acknowledge is that in this last year, we as people in, in Rochester and in this church, we've been dealing with a lot of stuff, too. We've been dealing with the effects of the pandemic, whether it's... Health-related issues that way. There's been the the resulting economic downturn. There's been racial turmoil. There's been political distress. We've had a lot of these tough circumstances
1: to navigate. We have, and it's felt a lot like the world has just been on hold. I don't know about you, but it just felt it feels like everything's just kind of stopped, and we're waiting. Uh-huh. Well, and isolated. <laughs> we're right? isolated.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, like Naomi. We, many of us have been isolated from family, from friends, from God's people, from yeah. any normal form of, of worship um, yeah. and practice, of, of being with other people who love God like we do. And I think it's a recipe for feeling bitter, for
1: absolutely
0: feeling like maybe God is,
1: is distant from us now, right? And, and it can feel a little bit without hope. Oh, helpless, I think, is another word that I would use to describe a time like this. Because, I mean, for us personally, what can we do about a pandemic? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like a famine. I mean, these are circumstances completely beyond our ability to fix. What can we do about that?
1: There's nothing.
0: Yeah. But I'd say if if you remember only one thing from Ruth chapter one, think about this. Mm Mm-hmm. To turn our back on God is ultimately to turn our back on the only source of life and hope. Yeah. Naomi and her family left God's land. They left his blessing, his promises, and things got scarier. They got worse. They became even more tragic. And she realized at some point she had to go back to Bethlehem. And to go back might be even scarier. Absolutely. It, it involves leaving what's familiar behind,
1: maybe for an unknown future. Yeah. But it is our only hope. It is. So and going back and having to face things, it's it's like the theme we see throughout scripture basically the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. of going away from the Lord and then returning. We see it with, you know, God's people throughout the Old Testament of them going away and then coming back to God. And so that is where this whole chapter ends, is her coming back. Yeah. And we have really exciting things that are going to happen in the following chapters. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's setting the ball for us. Remember, Mm -hmm. we set the stage in kind of a dark place.
0: It doesn't feel like we've hit the exciting heartwarming point yet and we haven't
1: but but there's little glimpses Mm -hmm. the very last line says in verse 22 and they came to bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest now considering they left in the middle of a famine 10 years ago this is hope for the widows and i can't help but think of how gracious god's timing is Mm. because the timing of this is absolutely perfect, and we'll see that as we go forward through the rest of these chapters, that God, that their return to Bethlehem at this particular time paves the way for the rest of the story.
0: Absolutely. So we end with hope. I don't want to stop here. I want to keep talking I about know. the rest of the chapters. I know. <laughs> there is so much sweetness and kindness and goodness and hope to come, and, and we're we're ending with just a little bit of a teaser with mm-hmm. it, which I love the Bible gives us this teaser. It's like your favorite show that gives you a glimpse of next week's episode. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we do look forward to talking through each chapter each week and seeing… To be continued. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued with great kindness, with great hope, and, uh, and an amazing story of mm-hmm. God's providence and provision. Let me just close us in prayer. Thanks. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the Bible in its entirety, but especially for this story and for what we see in this story about kindness and hope. And we're excited as you take us through these next weeks to uh, to really get to dive in and see that for ourselves. We pray that um, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to your kindness, that we would see it afresh this spring. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Amen.